Welcome to the third episode of the Small Changes Big Impact series brought to you by Halihewa Podcast in collaboration with the Africa SLCP project. This comprises 11 podcast episodes with the aim of creating awareness on short-lived climate pollutants. We want to help our audience understand what they are, why they're a problem, and what we can do about them. Short-lived climate pollutants not only affect the global climate, but are responsible for serious air pollution problems within Africa and affects you in your day-to-day -day life. Today, we are honored to have Dr. Richard Muita as our guest on the episode. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So I will read out his bio and then we begin. Dr. Richard Rukwaro Muita is a professional meteorologist working at the Kenya Meteorological Department, KMD. He's also a GCRF postdoctoral researcher at the University of Nairobi, also affiliated with the University of Leeds in the UK. His research is on climate services and particularly user needs and perceptions of farmers on subseasonal and seasonal forecasts in Kenya. He has 22 years of operational forecasting, uh, communications, training and research experiences and holds a PhD degree from the University of Sydney, Australia, a master's degree in integrated water resources management from the University of Dar es Salaam and a BSc in meteorology from the University of Nairobi here in Kenya. His areas of specialization include weather forecasting, climate services, uh, the dissemination and communication, and drought modeling for agriculture and other weather sensitive areas. We are so honored to have you today. It's not every day you get to interview a meteorologist. Um, is this something you've always wanted to do as a career, Dr. Muta? Yes, indeed, and no. Okay, interesting. <laughs> uh, initially, when I was uh, doing my um, high school, mm -hmm. I wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, my second option was to be a medical doctor. And my third option was not to be anything else. Ah, so you didn't have an Yeah, option. but um, I finally ended be, uh, as a meteorologist when I came to enroll at the university. I was unable to qualify for medicine. Mm -hmm. I qualified for law, but uh, fortunately I was good in both, in both the sciences and the arts. Mm -hmm. And I'd really passed the, the sciences. And so when I was enrolling, they told me, well, why do you have to take law and we are looking for people who have excelled in sciences? Please come join us, do something. Mm -hmm. So that's when I found meteorology. And I found it interesting because it is in the area of uh, mathematics and physics, and that's uh, what I really loved to work on. Mm -hmm. uh, for most of us, our understanding of meteorolo meteorology is that weatherman on the TV station explaining the rain rainfall patterns. So kindly help us understand what meteorology is and how it affects us or influences our day-to-day -day lives. Yeah, meteorology is basically the science that uh, studies the issues of atmospheric um, uh, patterns mm -hmm. or characteristics, yeah. including um, what happens on uh, land, uh, what uh, happens um, in the air, mm -hmm. and the interactions therein. So possibly you would uh, see rain falling from the skies, but it did not start there. It started somewhere on the surface, on the oceans. The oceans warmed up. The water rose through evaporation. 
under other processes and then it formed into clouds and then the clouds came down. Yeah. But now the interesting part of uh, meteorology is the physics in it, the mathematics. All that you see in nature is defined by mathematical and physical laws. What we, we in a layman's language, we call, uh, you know, equations. So even uh, a cloud that you see as an ordinary person out there, when you look at it, there's a lot of physics and mathematics in there. So in meteorology, we try to, re to represent, you know, to represent those relationships such that at what point will a cloud be able to give rain? At what time will wind blow from one location to another? At what, uh, what time will um, the radiation or the solar, you know, the sunshine that comes down from the solar system to the ground, at what time will it cause the temperatures to, to rise? And how is that process about? So that's, in a nutshell, that's basically what we talk about meteorology. And it comprises many fields. There is a bio, there's a physical, there's a chemical, and so many others. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I know our audience right now will be lost if we keep going into details about oh, the yeah, science. Sure. <laughs> and um, so on this episode, we are, or rather on this series, we are looking at air pollution and short-lived climate pollutants. So what does forecasting tell us about SLCPs or short-lived climate pollutants and air pollution? And is there any relation in that regard? Yeah, short-lived uh, climate pollutants is... Um, a general term that is used to describe um, gases mm -hmm. or air uh, chemicals, uh, you know, or uh, pollutants, mm -hmm. which um, once released into the air or into the atmosphere, they stay for a short period of time compared to the more traditional greenhouse gases. Mm -hmm. So short-lived climate uh, pollutants include gases like, um, you know, particulate matter, black carbon. People, I, th I think people know more of the black carbon. You know, the soot you see if you go to a rural household mm -hmm. when they are using firewood and there's a lot of smoke and when you look at the walls, the roof, it's black. That is black carbon. Mm -hmm. And black carbon is part of the, the short-lived climate pollutant. Yeah. When it looks at things like methane, it is part of the, 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 the short-lived climate pollutants. Mm -hmm. And you find that they do not last so long in the, in the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, they, they would last maybe even up to one year or just a few months, and then they dissipate mm -hmm. or disperse. But contrastingly, greenhouse gases can stay for years, many years. And that's why when you, you listen to the global forums and, uh, and debates, they talk so much about global warming, greenhouse gases, and less about short-lived climate pollutants. Mm -hmm. But the truth of the matter is that even short-lived climate pollutants also contribute to, to the issue of, uh, of, of climate warming. change or global, global warming. Mm -hmm. So basically, in forecasting those, uh, we, we just try to see how best can we represent them. Because at the end of the day, short-lived climate pollutants go into the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. They join with the greenhouse gases. And the overall effect, global warming, mm -hmm. and of course, on the service, other health uh, problems and issues. Mm -hmm. um, before we started recording, you uh, spoke about the issue of our cars and the vehicles that we drive. And you said the issue is not really the vehicles that we drive rather than how we maintain them. So could you kindly shed light on that as well? Because I thought it's very important for our listeners to hear that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, 
I guess I'll, I'll use the urban areas in uh, in Kenya, mm-hmm. particularly the capital city Nairobi, and also Nakuru County, which also became a city just the other the the, the other the other year. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say that uh, from what we have uh, been observing, we have been carrying out uh, monitoring and quantification of uh, short-lived climate pollutants in Nairobi and Nakuru, and of course, six other counties in Kenya. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we have noticed is that um, for Nairobi and Nakuru, the issue of vehicular emissions, that is emissions from vehicles or any any other moving machine, whether it's industry, mm-hmm. whether it's a motorbike, whether it's a small car, whether it's a truck or a bus or whatever it is. Those are the, 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 the ones we are terming as vehicles and what they emit is what we call vehicular emissions. Mm-hmm. And one of the things vehicles emit is uh, black carbon. The other is part of the particulate matter, uh, whether it's PM 2.5, PM 10. Um, they also release things like uh, nitric um, uh, acid, uh, sorry, um, you know, gases, um, sulfur, and a myriad other others that they release. And uh, from what we have observed is that um, the, according to the, the, uh, the concentrations right now, mm-hmm. you find that um, out of uh, 10 vehicles that are on the road, about seven of them are actually emitting what you normally see as a black smoke, you know, and that of course contains a lot of these uh, short-lived uh, climate uh, uh, pollutants or gases like black carbon, the PM, and others. And um, that's a very worrying trend because uh, you would wonder why why would vehicles in such a big capital where you have close to five million people. In Akuru, you have close to 3.5 million, uh, a population of 3.5 million people. Why such a large number of vehicles would be emitting, you know, these uh, emissions on a daily basis. And um, one time, very early in the morning, I was passing through the the, the city and along a thicker superhighway, and I could barely see ahead because there was this kind of a haze, you know, something that... You can't see through. So it reduces the feasibility, meaning that um, there is a problem with the issue of maintaining vehicles in the capital city and also in other urban areas, or generally speaking, in Kenya. Because vehicles, if they are well-maintained, they cannot smoke. Mm -hmm. They cannot emit what we see. But it seems either, either there are no regulations or... There is no kind of, um, you know, something that is checking on this. And I think it's a worrying trend because if we go into the details of how much are the concentrations, then we might be shocked because the levels are quite Mm mind-boggling. Yeah, then um, I hope our Kenyan listeners have had that. And we move to the early warning systems, which... um, Whenever we talk about climate change issues, we never fail to talk about early warning systems as a good adaptive measure. So kindly explain to us what those things are and you know how they relate to climate change. Yeah, um, early warning systems is just a, a collection of the tools and services mm-hmm. that provide uh, warnings or the state of the weather 
mm-hmm. and how the weather patterns um, would uh, evolve and what they mean. And just as you have seen the issue of Ali, it means that you provide that service in terms of how the weather looks like and uh, how it is expected mm-hmm. to evolve maybe in the coming future. It could be in a few hours. It could be now, 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 what we call now casting. Mm-hmm. It could be in a week's time. It could be in a month's time. It could be at a seasonal scale. Mm-hmm. Or it could even be at long long term. Uh, you know, like one year, you can give a projection of one year. Mm-hmm. Or even more than one year when you talk about climate change projections. Because climate change is not a short yeah. uh, time, t- time scale uh, thing. Mm-hmm. And so early warnings are the ones that provide uh, what you should know in terms of this is what is expected. The temperatures are supposed to go this direction. Mm-hmm. Um, there'll be a probability or the likelihood of rainfall and how much mm-hmm. and up to when, starting at what time and maybe possibly ending at what time. Mm-hmm. And what is the impact? For instance, if we say that we expect um, heavy rainfall in Nairobi, in the next one week, what is the impact? Maybe some areas will will flood. Yeah. You know, some areas uh, may experience what we call maybe landslides. Some areas, uh, if we are talking about Kisi, the Lake Victoria Basin region, mm-hmm. uh, like Kisumu and other areas, you are talking about lightning or thunderstorms mm-hmm. and so on. So early warnings are there to provide that service mm-hmm. where you are informing people or sectors so that they can take the right action mm-hmm. as early as possible. They can prepare in in earnest, uh, awaiting what is expected from the early warning that has been provided. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, when we look at the African continent, would you say the early warning system has been effective? And are there concrete examples of their successes or shortcomings? Yeah, by and large, um, I would say that... Um, uh, early warning systems have come a long way from the time when um, we were embracing uh, methods which are quite, um, you know, traditional, traditional and not very complicated, yeah. uh, whereby people are using like analog methods of forecasting. For instance, where people just say, because yesterday it rained, so today it will rain. You know, that's just so so broad. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it has been dry, we also expect next week to just be dry. Yeah. But right now, uh, over the years, you find that early warning systems in Africa uh, have have grown such that now we are able to use other uh, scientific um, uh, methods and approaches which are more um, more accurate mm-hmm. and also able to describe the the atmosphere and all the interactions with the surface and the oceans uh, in a better way. Uh, whereby right now we have what we call numerical weather prediction systems, which of course use uh, the relationships in the atmosphere, like the cloud physics, you know, the the, the other patterns and um, uh, different uh, equations which actually describe what is expected to happen without and also the issue of the evolution of the satellite, uh, you know, the satellite technology, Mm -hmm. whereby we have geostationary satellites in the atmosphere which, uh, you know, go around the, the globe. And as they go, they relay that information to ground stations where now we process that information, interpret it, and now put it in the, in the, in the early warning systems in order to run and see what we expect. Mm-hmm. So I would say that um, 
generally the early warning systems in Africa are fairly good. On average, for the entire uh, continent, I would say on average 60 to 80% accuracy. Uh, in some areas, it could be higher. However, uh, the greatest challenge that we have in ensuring that the early systems uh, become better mm -hmm. is uh, the issue of lack of sufficient observation network on the ground. Mm -hmm. Because despite that the satellite will give you the entire globe, that information from satellite is not accurate. It is biased. It's uncertain. In order to make it more usable, you need ground ground stations where after you have observed, you can be able to do something we normally call calibration or you validate those satellite information such that they become more accurate to the, reali the, the, the realistic in realistic terms. Mm -hmm. And therefore, when you run your models with that, then you are able to get more accurate early, early warning uh, forecasts um, and, and, and systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I was actually going to um, ask whether in your mind you already know what can be done to you know, make the system more accurate. Um, and when I was reading out your bio, you talked about uh, you know, the communications aspect, especially to farmers, because rightfully so we come from a country that practices agriculture maybe as a main source of livelihood. So are there communications channels apart from mainstream media, which we always see, that ensures the people that need this information the most actually get it? Are there any other communication channels apart from the mainstream media? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, first, let me handle the first part uh, where you talked about the challenges yeah. and what can be done to improve the, the early warning systems. Mm -hmm. I already mentioned about the, the sparse network. Mm -hmm. And so what can be done is if there can be more investment yeah. into expanding the network, put more stations, yeah. more automatic observation platforms so that we can get ground-based data. Mm -hmm. The other, of course, is about improving the capacity in Africa, which is still low. Like train more meteorologists, train more, um, you know, climatologists, train more communicators and disseminators of information, create more, and at the end, back end, also create capacity with the end user. Yeah. Because sometimes the, the end users could be ignored, while in actual fact, when you build their capacity, mm -hmm. they are able to adopt uh, or uptake uh, the early warning services, mm -hmm. uh, the forecast and so on in a better way. And at the end of it, also uh, put uh, or make the be best decisions based on the information provided. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the, the, the challenges that uh, require to be, to be, you know, to be kind of uh, built. When it comes now to communication and uh, dissemination, uh, that forms part of what I was doing in my postdoctorate uh, fellowship, and um, I started the, the the perceptions and uh, you know the the user needs mm -hmm. uh, that are required. And part of the perceptions and the user needs that uh, I was able to research on is about communication uh, and dissemination. Some of the, the the communication and dissemination modes that we have. Mm -hmm. So you'd find that they vary from from the mainstream, where you have radio and uh, uh, television, uh, and now you find that uh, social media platforms are growing 
Because like in Kenya, for instance, the subscription of uh, people with smartphones or mobile is close to 70 million subscriptions. Mm -hmm. Meaning that some people have two or three phones. In the rural areas, people have the kabambe, the small, you know, kind of uh, uh, mobile phone mm -hmm. just to communicate. And so you find that uh, in terms of communication and dissemination, those modes are coming out very strongly. Um, at the rural setup, or talk of Kenya, the sub-county, the, the ward, the village, you find that um, there are those traditional ways of communication and dissemination which are still relevant up to date. Mm -hmm. Issues like the barazas, the village meetings, you find that they are still very, very, very strong and relevant at the moment. And even um, ordinarily, like from a perspective of the, 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 the corporate, you find the forums like workshops and um, seminars, and so on, those are also other means through which we, we communicate. Mm -hmm. But overall, um, I was able to look at what is the most preferred mode of, you know, communication. Uh, communication or disseminating this. And interestingly, radio stood out across the entire country mm -hmm. that most people, whether they are educated, whether they are semi-educated, or at whatever level they are, in the rural, radio still stands out because they broadcast mostly in vernacular languages, the language that you can easily associate, associate with. And so uh, you find that um, while the social media platforms are also coming you know, out very strongly, particularly Facebook, um, also WhatsApp. Uh, interestingly, you'd find in counties, sometimes you find a WhatsApp with a, with a group of farmers like in Moranga, I know a WhatsApp group where they have a group of farmers, 6,000 of them. It's, you can't fathom that so many people. And any moment you get information, it reaches them before the mainstream media are able to air this. And so I think there is quite, um, it's kind of like a revolution within the issue of uh, communication and dissemination. No, I think that's a really brilliant study and you know, knowing that this important information still gets to the people that need it the most through sure. various channels. And now let's look at air pollution issues. Um, and you mentioned earlier that you have done measurements in quite a number of counties, um, Nairobi, Nakuru, in very simple terms and in a more gen on a more general note, what would you say is the air quality of, of most Kenyan cities? Yeah, we considered Nairobi and Nakuru mm -hmm. for cities, mm -hmm. and then for non-cities or other other counties, we considered six of them, which include Nandi, Nandi County, we have Taitataveta, we have Garissa, we have Moranga, we have Kajiado, and uh, two more others. And uh, what we, we, we have found out in Nairobi and Nakuru mm -hmm. is that um, in most of our major highways, the pollution levels are incredibly high. Mm -hmm. And um, they range between um, uh, about five micrograms, depending on the time, and uh, even more than 100 micrograms per uh, cubic meter, depending on where you are and the time. Yeah. There are times when the traffic is high on a particular point, and that is a time that you could register or observe the highest uh, levels of, uh, of these uh, uh, pollutants. Mm -hmm. um, 
when it comes to the rural uh, rural counties or areas we focused more on what we call indoor indoor pollution mm -hmm. that is what comes from inside the house particularly from the kitchen whereby they are using what we call biomass mm -hmm. in a general term people use firewood people use other you know other residues either from crops and so on i remember um we used <coughs> excuse me we used um you know dried kind of cobs mm -hmm. from the maize from the maize cobs you know for part of the biomass you 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 use the stalks which have dried in the farm sometimes mm -hmm. use grass some twigs and so on yeah. so those are the ones that um, are used in the kitchen and so we were measuring and quantifying what is coming from the kitchen when they are cooking so most of the the the, the emissions uh, we collected were basically what happens in the morning when they are preparing breakfast lunch time and evening mm -hmm. yeah and still the levels were quite high depending on which household and what they are using and this could go even up to in some areas could even go up to 100 micrograms uh, per cubic meter uh, uh, overall as the maximum other periods it could be less you know like it also goes with um, with uh, the weather conditions mm -hmm. because when it's very cold there is a tendency of using more biomass not only for cooking but also for warming yeah you know so and the same is true even if you look at um, what we call clean energy or renewable energy or even electricity for instance yeah when it is cold you are likely to use uh, heaters you are likely to use more of uh, the ac and so on and therefore we, we saw that the levels even in the households were, were incredibly high in some instances they were low maybe 10 20 may, uh, micrograms uh, per, unit, uh, per cubic meter mm -hmm. but i would say that uh, overall we wanted to compare these concentrations levels to what is provided for us the standard by the world health organization mm -hmm and uh, also our country national standards perhaps provided by nema and uh, we realized that uh, most of the, the 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 levels surpassed surpassed those levels mm -hmm. because uh, recently i saw that the who has revised the standards from the previously 25 micrograms uh, uh, per cubic meter as the threshold that you should not go above that mm -hmm. now they have brought it down to 10 which of course is very 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 worrisome because if you are reducing it and the levels are high even above the 25 most are above the 25 micrograms uh, uh, per cubic meter in most of our highways and maybe even in where people are densely uh, you know uh, populated then it means uh, that uh, we we are actually in a very bad state mm -hmm. overall Yeah. And um you also talked about a study that sort of compares the air quality between Nairobi and Kigali. That there's a graph that you're going to share on the video as well so kindly shed light on that as well. Yeah, sure. Um this is uh, something I got from some friends mm -hmm. working in uh, similar projects. Yeah. Um uh, from the US and uh, working with the the regional 
Center for Mapping uh, and Development here in Kenya. Uh, you see, that's an IGAD affiliated institution which covers much, most of the the, uh, the, the the countries in the Horn of Africa. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they had uh, carried out this study to compare cities. And uh, for, I was fortunate to see the comparison between the Nairobi and Kigali, you know, emissions, particularly for particulate matter, 2.5. And uh, incredibly, uh, at that time, the levels in Kigali are slightly higher than in Nairobi. Uh, Amazingly, we know that uh, the population in Kigali is high, but not as high as in Nairobi. Nairobi. The number of vehicles in Kigali are not as many as the ones in in Nairobi, where we are talking about more than uh, one million Mm-hmm. Uh, cars, you know, dominating our roads in the capital city, Nairobi. And uh, it was kind of a temporal distribution over time. And you could see that the levels were rising. If you had to put what we call um, a trend line, mm-hmm. you know, like even using a linear regression trend line, you'd find that um, there was an upward movement with the time. Meaning that there was no time that it went down. Yeah, But over that period, it just increased, which to me is a very worrying trend. And uh, you could see, um, you know, the levels are reaching up to even 80 micrograms per cubic meter, close to 100, mm-hmm. um, averaging around 50, around 40-something. Mm-hmm. And so to me, those levels for the urban uh, cities uh, or the, the capital cities of these two countries are really very high, and I think it's a high time that... Um, very urgent, very, very urgent and serious, serious action should be taken in terms of mitigating and reducing that. Mm-hmm. Because we know if we go into details in terms of the impact of this on health, it can be a big, big, um, it can cost the government and even the population, you know, quite a lot if it's not curbed early enough. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you so much for highlighting the health aspect. No worries. Uh, of, of the PM 2.5. And as we are about to wrap up, there's this particular question I really wanted to ask, which is KMS um, is currently developing a weather research and forecasting with chemistry model for early warning systems and forecasting of SLCPs in order to integrate air pollution information into the National Meteorological Services. As we finalize, kindly shed light light on that. Yeah, thank you, Abigail. that is part of uh, the out, um, output we expect from a one-year uh, project mm-hmm. that was uh, generously funded by Climate Works Foundation uh, of the U.S. And um, one of the things that we wanted to, to provide is an early warning uh, service which would help uh, with regard to estimating the levels of uh, short-lived climate pollutants in, in, in urban areas. Mm-hmm. We are focusing on Nairobi and, um, and Nakuru counties for mm-hmm. the simple reason that uh, the initial uh, or first phase of the project was about just collecting the information, seeing the status as I elaborated earlier. Yeah. But now we want to see, can we use that information and any other existing information to come up with an early warning we can be used as a tool to advise policy, can be used as a tool to educate um, the masses, the population, with regard to uh, what are the levels, what decisions can you take. 
And so we opted to use something we call the, the weather research forecasting with chemistry tool. This is, um, this is a research tool. It is also um, a forecasting systems tool, which you customize according to your need. Mm -hmm. And in this case, our need is to try and see whether we can be able to predict and forecast some of the, 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 the short-lived climate pollutants uh, uh, elements, such as uh, particulate matter 2.5, mm -hmm. uh, black carbon, uh, particulate matter 10. And um, that's exactly what we've been doing. And uh, we, uh, we have already developed some parts because initially you have to build the model from scratch, whereby you have to look at uh, the area, what are the, 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 the meteorological parameters or aspects that you think are important in prediction. And in this case, satellite um, information and resources become very important because I talked about the geostationary satellites. So they observe some of these components in the atmosphere, what the carbon dioxide is, what the, you know, the, the other gases are, what is the wind regime, and so on. And now that combined with the ground uh, you know, stations uh, data, we are able now to initialize that model, that is the WAF-CHEM model, mm -hmm. and we are able to, to do runs. And in this case, we have started... Um, working on a three hourly kind of um, you know early warning um, uh, uh, forecast for for pm 2.5 and pm 10 and uh, we're just in the initial uh, stages we are yet to still continuously improve on the on the quality of that mm -hmm. uh, at the back end we expect to come up with um, with a dissemination and communication framework because we need to understand how best do we communicate this information. This is something that is new in Kenya. It has not been done before. Okay. And so we want to see whether we can get it right mm -hmm. so that we can later, after the project is over, we can now integrate it within the National Meteorological Service, which provides all the other media types of early warnings, whether it is drought, whether it is malaria warning, mm -hmm. whether it is any other warning, such as uh, maybe the current rains that are, uh, are uh, hammering the country. And so towards achieving that, we are building capacity so that we can have people who can continuously uh, be running these models, improving these models, um, uh, run these models. And so we are just somewhere almost 50% of what we are doing. And we hope by the turn of uh, the end of the year, we should be able to, to provide a full suit of the WAF came, um, you know, early warning uh, system. Yeah. Well, this all sounds very interesting, and I hope someone listening will be inspired to become a meteorologist or a climatologist and every other career related to this. So, on this podcast, as we wrap up, we always ask our guests, um, what are the two actions that people can take at a personal level to reduce their emissions with regards to SLCPs, something very simple off the top of your head? Yeah, one, um, let me talk about the rural population because they are the ones highly affected by indoor mm -hmm. emissions because they cook using biomass. Perhaps it's not their wish. Um, I would urge that um, they strongly talk with the, 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 the governance structures in their area that they can accept to help them get subsidized kind of um, 
you know, um, clean energy, such that we also even reduce the pressure on our forests and our, on our environment. Mm -hmm. So that if they can adopt um, energy saving and cleaner stoves, it would even save them some money. That's number one. Um, <clears throat> in the long run, we need to have uh, an establishment of air quality monitoring, mm -hmm. because that's largely lacking. It's haphazard. It's like in this project, we had to buy some of those sensors. But you see, those are not sufficient. We need something that is concrete, like an agency like NEMA or Kenya Meteorological Department would take over and establish a network across the country so that we can improve the early warning system or services so that now we can be able to provide. The last one has to do with um, the legal and uh, uh, legislative and other regulatory, which of course all add to the policy issue. It is a high time that we need to come up with the policies which clearly help to implement the issue of how we reduce we reduce the, 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 the emissions and the pollutions because it's part of our national determined contributions, which of course flows into what we call the, the, the conference of parties and all these other global um, agreements, whereby now we are looking at reducing the levels of uh, the, the global warming or the emissions to the level of the, the, the Paris, the 2015 Paris Agreement, mm -hmm. uh, that if we can limit this by 2030, to the level of 1.5 degrees Celsius, mm -hmm. so that we will be safe. Because if we go beyond that, we are likely to continue seeing more of climate change and impacts that are, will affect uh, much of what we do. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and um, thank you for also highlighting the target for 1.5, because um, in this space, we almost feel as if it's an impossible thing to achieve if we continue to what what do you call it business as usual exactly yeah, yeah. um yeah. so thank you so much i don't know if you have anything else you'd like to add that you feel i haven't not really uh, it's just to thank you for having me mm -hmm. and we hope that uh we'll engage more with the communities to educate them mm -hmm. on what they should do yeah thank you thank you so much uh well this was halihewa podcast episode three in collaboration with the africa slcp project see you on the next one